Well, today kicks off One Nation Under God with 27 other congregations and two parachurch ministries. Granbury is not going to be the same. For the next four weeks, we ask that you pray like never before for our nation based on 1 Timothy chapter 2 that tells us, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks, somebody said all kinds of prayer. Be made for all men. Somebody said everybody. Everybody. For kings. Somebody said presidents. And all who are in authority. Somebody say police. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Who knows, like never before, America needs God. We cannot depend upon a circus. The circus needs our prayer. Amen? So rather than whining, let's pray. Let's turn our cares into prayers, our worries into intercession and worship. So for the next four weeks, who will spend some time praying every day? All right. We're also asking for fasting. Maybe it's a a meal a day or a meal a week or two meals a week or a day a week with nothing. Don't ever fast water. That's not a good idea. Um, The Bible says after 40 days, Jesus got hungry. didn't say he got thirsty. By all means, don't get dehydrated. Who will spend fast something? The newspaper, social media? Oh, that would be really good. What is fasting? It's two things. It's focusing your mind on why you're fasting. All right, why am I not eating? Why am I not doing what I normally do? Oh, yes, America needs God. One nation under God. And the second thing is it does is it creates space in your life. Our lives can get so full, there's no room for more spiritual activity. And eating, believe it or not, takes up time. It does. Preparing food, going to the restaurant, cooking the food, having them cook the food, waiting on the food, eating the food, doing the dishes if you're eating at home. A lot of time is surrounding around, uh, around that and conversation around the, the table. Lots of time is spent around eating. So fasting creates some time to be spiritual, to seek the Lord, and to pray prayers based on 1 Timothy chapter 2. Also, we're asking people to participate in daily devotionals, actually including your mind. And uh, we have uh, four weeks of devotionals written by spiritual leaders from churches and ministries in Hood County. Somebody tell your, tell your neighbor, in the hood. And you can sign up for that at pastorcouncil.org. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God. Indivisible, with liberty and justice for all.
one nation under God. Can we say one? one? A nation is made up of individuals, therefore a nation starts with me. A nation starts with you. The nation of Israel started with one man, Abraham, and one woman, Sarah. The power of one is an amazing thing. Without one, you got nothing. Without zero and one, computers don't work. Without one, you're broke. One nation under God. Does my citizenship as one citizen reflect this? Am I under God? Does our citizenship reflect this? Are we a nation under God? Does your citizenship reflect this? Speaking to you today on the subject, one nation under God starts with me. Can we say that? Can we stand and do the pledge of allegiance to our flag? Together, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. You may be seated. Notice it says one nation under God. There is no comma after nation. A little history behind the Pledge of Allegiance in 1892 was going to be a celebration of the 400th anniversary of Columbus discovering the New World. Haitians love to say he came to Haiti first, the island of Hispaniola, which may very well be true. Looking for a shortcut to India, he found a new world. Francis Bellamy was recruited by the magazine he was working for called Youth's Companion. He was a Baptist minister's son and a minister himself who was hired by a member of his congregation to come and work. He was a good writer. Uh, Youth's Companion was a family magazine with a half a million subscribers. And working for the promotions department, he was delegated with the task of arranging a patriotic program for schools around the nation that would coincide with the ceremonies at what was called the Columbian Exposition in October of 1892, the 400th anniversary of Columbus' arrival to the New Worlds. He helped convince President Benjamin Harrison to issue a proclamation declaring a Columbus Day holiday. How many enjoyed their holiday last Monday? We have Francis Bellamy as one of the persons to thank for it. A key element to this program, this day of celebration, this festival, this exposition, was to be a new salute to the flag for school children to recite in unison. Being a good Baptist and somewhat a socialist, Bellamy wrote it in words that any nation could use for their flag. He composed this pledge that would invoke allegiance to one's nation. The idea behind this was in part a response to the Civil War because America was still in unification and there was a real crisis of loyalty that was fresh in the national memory to one nation. So he produced this rhythmic tribute Every, very close to the one we know today. He said, I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Millions of school children took part in the 1892 Columbus Day ceremony. 
1923, there was a national flag conference presided over by the American Legion and the Daughters of the Revolution, and they ordained and chose that the words, my flag, should be changed to the flag of the United States because immigrant children could be unclear as to which flag they were saluting. The following year, the words of America were added, and hence the pledge was, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. In 1942, the pledge's 50th anniversary, 50 years later, Congress adopted it as part of the flag code. Now, our nation has a flag code on how what's appropriate with the flag and what, how do you dispose of them when they're wore out, things like that. So the pledge was made official by Congress. And the saluting the pledge was also changed during World War II because it looked rather Hitler-esque. The children doing the pledge did it like this. I pledge allegiance to my flag and to the republic for which it stands. Well, that looked a whole lot like, right? <laughs> so it was deemed this was appropriate. And military could salute. The children would hold it over their parts and civilians. A decade later in 1952, as a sharp reply to godless communism, Congress approved the addition of the words under God within the phrase, one nation indivisible. On June 14, 1954, President Dwight Eisenhower signed the bill into law. And now we have the words, one nation under God, no common between them, not one nation under God like we often phrase it but it's one nation under God. And if this nation is to be under God, we need to be under God, right? The judgment of God begins at the house of God. It's me, O Lord, that stands in the need of prayer. It's meeth, not youeth. It's us, not them. Second Chronicles Chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. this doesn't disillusion you, but verse 14 is a continuation of the sentence began in verse 13. So reading it in its context is somewhat alarming. The nation of Israel had built under the leadership of King Solomon a glorious temple, fabulous, and an amazing dedication ceremony was had in honoring God for whom the house was built. And during that ceremony, that dedication service, God showed up. The priests could not stand under the presence of God. The weight of God's glory was so great. They could not stand to minister. Couldn't see his presence was so thick. An amazing service. And during that season of celebrating the, complete, the completion of what was known as Solomon's Temple, 
Solomon had a visitation by God at night. And during this visitation, God gave him promises and warnings. The promise was, this is going to be my house forever, forever. But if you guys screw up, basically, I'm paraphrasing in Texan language, it's not going to be my house. And people are going to point at it and say, what used to happen over there? So here is the beginning of the sentence that verse 14 completes. It begins, God says, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if you didn't know the rest of the sentence, you might think, oh, that sentence could be completed with the words, when these things happen, it's not going to be good. Who would agree with that? Not a good thing. But then here comes God's mercy. If my people, when these bad things are happening that I've allowed to happen because of your sin, here's my promise. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. This was God's pledge of allegiance to his people. Even though you may be under my judgment, my removal of blessing from your life, if you will turn to me with your whole heart, I'll hear your prayer. The pestilence will be gone. The locusts will disappear. And it will start to rain again. How many are thankful we serve a merciful God who pleasures his allegiance to those who will repent. The New Testament has pledges of allegiance. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a glorious promise. What a pledge of allegiance. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We have to agree with the truth that we have sinned and confess that to him for his forgiveness, and he forgives us. He doesn't just stop there, but he will cleanse us of the unrighteousness that made us sin in the first place. Now, if you ever find yourself in a cycle of having to confess the same sin over and over again, what's that about? I think God forgives you over and over but I also think you haven't confessed deep enough. Sometimes the sin is a result of anger, all right? I'm so sorry for getting so angry and cussing and whatever. Well, there may be another sin that's making you angry. Maybe it's fear that you won't let go of. Maybe it's a need to trust God more, the sin of not trusting God can make us vulnerable to anger or, or lust or, or an addiction of any sort. He promises to cleanse us of all unrighteousness if we'll confess our sin. And if you find yourself in a hopeless cycle of confessing the same thing over and over again, know that your Heavenly Father forgives you and loves you, but you're not going deep enough. There's another issue behind that. You're dealing with the fruit when there is a root that the Lord wants to get out. That's a whole nother sermon. 
This is God's pledge of allegiance to people living under the old covenant. We live in a new covenant, which is built on better promises, right? Better promises. If you'll forgive them when they pray, humble themselves, seek his face, and turn from wicked ways, he'll hear their prayer. How much more will he hear our prayer? We're citizens in the new covenant, amen? And forgive our sins and heal our land. So being new covenant people called by God's name, I have some questions to ask. Do we as citizens, American citizens, people from this nation, do we ever need to humble ourselves? We do. In fact, in dealing with pride, it's better to assume that you have it and deal with it than to wait for it to become really obvious to the world. It can be really humiliating when your pride gets you into trouble. My dad used to say, I only open my mouth to change feet. I need some mint-flavored socks. If you want to be humble, read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Talking about the citizens of the kingdom, it says... Not many wise are called. Not many, doesn't say not any, thank the Lord. Not many noble are called. So when you see a Christian acting the fool, doing something stupid, don't roll your eyes and say, I'm so embarrassed, or well, that's not my brother. No, he is. That's a demonstration of God's incredible mercy. He takes the people who are not worthy of salvation and gives it to them anyway. So looking at that, it's not a a cut down. It's just embrace the reality. God has saved me in his mercy. So I'm a believer not because of my great intelligence, but because of his mercy and his intelligence. As a citizen, do I, do we, do you ever need to really pray? Do we? Is it possible to pray and just go through the... The, the ritual, now I lay me down to sleep, or God is great, God is good, let us thank him f- for our food, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, whoever eats the fastest gets the most. <laughs> there is a time to rend your heart before the Lord. Rend your heart and not your garments, the Old Testament says. Be honest with God. God, is me that needs prayer. I, I, I come to you. Do we as citizens ever need to seek God's face? You know, when, when you're down, this is easy to do. But what about when you're up? When you've got it going on, when you really are a smart guy, when you've made wise investments, when you really do have room to be comfortable in your life, is it possible to not seek his face anymore? Is it possible to become independent of him? It is. Solomon was blessed with wisdom, incredible wisdom. The guy who was visited by God in chapter 9 and chapter 10, amazing riches come his way because of his wisdom. He has a tariff system going on where surrounding nations are bringing them riches every two years. He's becoming incredibly wealthy. His family's incredibly blessed. But in chapter 10, over the course of 20 years, he marries Pharaoh's daughter. Oops, pagan wife. Not supposed to do that. Before long, he has 700 wives, some of whom are princesses. You know, princesses are hard to please. 
And he married them as, as a means of making peace. You know, a king will be less likely to attack your borders if you got his daughter. Uh-uh-uh. You know, who I, you, know, you know who sits at my table? You will not do that. And, and these women, plus how many concubines? Children's church, how many cucumbers did he have? These women turned his heart away from the Lord. God did not tell him to do that. But in his wisdom, he learned how to use it to his advantage. And when he died, three chapters after the glorious visitation of God, when he died, his son took over. And boy, was he a piece of work. He was not well-fathered. He learned to be a manipulator and uh, use wisdom to his advantage. And when the people approached him and said, hey, your dad was hard on us. Are you going to be kinder to us now that we've got the kingdom all built and things are going good. He sought counsel from some young whippersnappers and gave him bad advice. And he said, my father's waist was like my little finger. You think he was tough. Just get ready. You guys don't know what hard times are. And of course, there was a rebellion. The kingdom split. And the sad, one of the saddest verses in the Old Testament said that Solomon's family went to their houses and Israel went to their tents. All those years of prosperity and they're operating like a banana republic still? Sounds like, sounds like some third world countries I've lived in. Wisdom is for the benefit of, can we say Others. Others. Somewhere along the line, Solomon, who asked for wisdom, he, you know why he asked it? He said, I need wisdom. God said, I'll give you whatever you want. He says, I'd like to have wisdom so I know how to enter your presence and exit. Somewhere along the line, he stopped entering God's presence. He stopped seeking the face of the Lord and may not be in heaven even though he's got books in the Bible. Do I, we, you ever need to turn from wickedness? We do. You know, it is wicked to ignore what the first few verses of 1 Timothy chapter 2 says. I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Oh, we're good about praying about leading a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, but no, why, how, how do we get those things? By praying for kings and all who are in authority. We pray for our leaders, even though they're not worthy of prayer. We pray for them because the Bible tells us so. When we refuse and we do the opposite, that is a form of wickedness. Just is. Moving right on. Does God ever hear our prayers? Thank God he does. Oh, man. Does he still forgive sins? Yes. Does he still heal? Susanna, missionary to Croatia, shared how her husband had congestive heart failure down to 20%, and by the end of that year, God healed him. He's going strong. He's serving the Lord there today. And there's lots of walking you all do, right? This was not good. Send a missionary who becomes a convalescent his first year on the field. He needed healing. 
Is Bill Breedlove here? Bill, come right on up, brother. Bill's teeth were killing him, literally. And now they're not. Tell us about it. Heavily decayed tooth, abscess tooth, broken tooth. Those were my main concerns dealing with it for at least a year. Uh, it costs a lot of money when you don't have insurance. I used Pastor Allen's dentist, good Christian dentist. I'm tired of these heathen dentists because the reports that they're giving me is bone loss, rip them out, dentures, no choice. That's it. No, 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 no. I go to his dentist, get to share the testimony, and get to use that uh, does he ever hear our prayers line. Oh, yeah. But you can't give up and you can't quit. I go in. I'm able to give my testimony, share it, and tell him that I'm still praying when I'm in the dentist chair. And here's God's humor. I said, I've got to stop praying now. It's in your hands. He pokes around. He takes the x-rays, has them developed, sets them up, lights them up, looks at them, looks at me, looks at them, looks at me. One more time. Looks at them and looks at me and in a quiet voice says, Bill, I have nothing to do. Man, teeth miracle, phenomenal. So from weeping and fasting and prayer to having the healing, what happens after that? It's testimony, mourning, and worshiping. And I'm still on the high from that last week. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Um, one other, one other question, Bill. Come, Bill, come back up. Uh, the next day, the VA calls you with your prescription for your teeth, right? Yeah. Antibiotics, right? So what happened there? <laughs> you gave her your testimony? Yeah, she broke the rules and ordered it. She wasn't supposed to. And it was 6.30 in the evening. And, of course, I'm going to share my testimony. I don't need it. Why is that? You've been, I've been healed. You've got to be kidding me. Yeah, that's God's humor. Yep. No, seriously. Why are you calling me so late? It's a long day. They're making us work, you know, way over time. And I'm stressed, and i got to go home and face three sick children. I went, oh, no. <laughs> no. Jamie, right now, all three are healed. By the time you get home, and you'll have sweet dreams, you'll have new energy, less stress, wake up in the morning with joy. She gave me the report. She got home. All three were healed. Stress was gone. Wonderful. And then she got to share the testimony throughout her office. It's amazing, God's humor. Amen. Amen. That's good. 
I don't have time to tell it, but there's another testimony, an amazing testimony of Bill's. You can find it on YouTube. Just, just search for I was dying of stupidity, and you'll find his testimony. These twinkle lights were impossible for him to do because he had dementia. After the Lord healed him, he came down one day with a hernia <laughs> because he got injured and did that for us because God had restored his coordination. So the Lord still heals, amen? Amen. amen. He even heals injuries. Marietta, come on down and tell us what happened to you recently. Was this just like three or four months ago? Yes. Do you have cats? Who has a cat? Who's ever had a cat? You know, they have hairballs. And the last place you want to have one of those is on furniture, right? Because they're not easy to clean up. So in the middle of the night, pitch black, I hear what I think is the cat vomiting a hairball. And I think it's at this little love seat at the end of our bed. And the last thing I wanted to happen was that hairball be on the bed. So I sat straight up in bed in the pitch black and dove over the top of the love seat to push the cat off the love seat onto the floor so she would have it on the floor, which was tile, easier to clean up. I missed the couch, the love seat. I fell on the floor, hit my face, split my lip, bruised both knees, had a goose egg about that big sticking straight out of my shin, and my arm hurt really bad. What I didn't know was I had broken my arm. And this happened on a very, in the middle of the night, Saturday night. Um, by Monday morning, I was in quite a bit of pain, and I told Greg, I said, gosh, I'd sure like to go to the chiropractor because my shoulder hurts, my hip hurts, my knees hurt, my back hurts before we get out of town. And so I stopped in, saw the chiropractor. She adjusts all parts of me one by one. She gets to my arm, and she's reluctant to do it without an X-ray. She takes an X-ray, walks me around the backside, shows me on this giant... Apple TV screen that my arm is broken, my right arm, and tells me I need to go see an orthopedic doctor when I get back up here. So I go to an orthopedic doctor. It takes me three days to get in. In the meantime, Greg and I are praying for my arm to be healed because I do not need a broken arm. I don't want one. I didn't ask for it, and I just do not want it. On the morning that I was to see the orthopod, I woke up and I felt what I can only describe as big. Not fat, because we all do that, ladies, right? But big, I felt big. And I can't explain that. And when I, I told Greg when that night, I believed that God healed me while I was sleeping. I said, we're going to go to the orthopod. He's going to take x-rays because he's not going to want to look at the other ones. He'll look at them, then he's going to look at his own x-rays. So he's going to take his own x-rays. He's going to look at them, and he's going to tell me my arm's not broken. And then I'm going to ask him why the other x-rays, oh, by the way, an emergency room doctor saw those x-rays and said it was broken. So now two doctors telling me my arm's broken. Okay, so back to the orthopod. He's going to say... When I ask him, why does the other x-ray show my arm is broken, he's going to tell me, oh, it was an artifact. There was something on the x-ray that um, the x-ray machine had a blurp in it. He's going to make some excuse. 
So the doctor comes into the room, looks at my arm, tells me my arm is not broken, that it's badly sprained, it's going to take probably longer to get over. If I had broken it, I would have been better off. <laughs> um, he tells me, and when I ask him, well, what, the other x-rays show that it's broken. He says, oh, I don't know about those. Maybe it was a growth plate. A growth plate that runs diagonal. <laughs> we know what growth plates are. They don't run diagonal. They don't run long ways. They run like this. So here I am. He's telling me exactly what I told Greg he would say. Within 36 hours, I was able to lift sacks of feed. They weigh 50 pounds a sack. When he told me that I wouldn't be able to lift anything heavier than a Coke can. God healed me. He still heals. He still hears prayer. And if he does that for us personally, can he not do that for us corporately? Nationally? So, in step with asking you to pray for the next four weeks, let's do some of it here this morning. We do it. If you're not comfortable with doing this, you don't have to. But if you are, I'm going to ask you to stand and just form groups of three or four, any more than five or six. It would take too long for everybody to get a chance to pray. And pray for America. Pray for Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The U.N. has declared that they don't have a right to it. And, and the peace of Jerusalem isn't just, you know, no fighting in Jerusalem. It's wholeness. Pray for the wholeness of Jerusalem, which belongs to God's people because he made a covenant with their daddy, Abraham. And so pray for Jerusalem, pray for our nation, pray for our leaders. And anybody in your circle that needs prayer for healing, pray for healing. Pray to the healer, speak to the sickness, and command healing. Amen? But ask the Lord. Amen? We command symptoms. We don't command God. We command symptoms, and we ask God. Can we do that? Let's just stand right now just for the next few minutes, and let's pray together for our nation and for needs of anybody in your circle. Can we do that? Mm -hmm.